right, morning everyone. We're really fortunate today to have Alex Bailey here with us. So Alex came from being a National League hockey player himself for 15 years, so high-level athlete. Uh, he then went on to coach on the England Hockey Pathway team as well, and is also doing some coaching with uh, the Loughborough Uni team uh, as an assistant coach as well, the men's hockey team. Uh, but his role uh, that we know him best as really is a performance lifestyle advisor. So he's been with the EIS, the English Institute of Sport, for almost five years. Uh, he's been part of the swimming team with that. And now he's with the uh, National Tennis Academy at Loughborough Uni as the performance lifestyle and education manager. And he's here to speak with us and tell us all about it today. So thank you, Alex, for being with us today. How are you? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me on and uh, inviting me to be part of today. You're welcome, mate. Oh, nice. no, it's yeah, really good to have you. I think um, these days, like performance, lifestyle, holistic approach are terms that are sort of used quite often. They seem to be definitely on the rise. But I don't know if everybody would have a full understanding of what, what those terms, what those roles are. But could you like just start by giving us your definition of what a performance lifestyle advisor is and does? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so performance lifestyle, in essence, is a, a coaching and mentoring support service. Um, that helps to take a person-first approach within an elite sport program. Um, so if you think about a, a sort of support team around an athlete, we traditionally know of strength and conditioning coaches, physiotherapists, nutritionists, coaching, uh, of course, psychology, a lot of kind of well-established sort of areas of support. And performance lifestyle is a, probably a relatively newer area into that um, and and the idea of performance lifestyle is to help take a sort of person-first approach to help athletes to, to manage the life they have as an elite athlete and plan for the future as well. So primarily, it looks to kind of develop the skills that they might need um, currently to, to perform well and to manage their life outside of sport. But then those start to develop those transferable skills that they might need in the future um, for a career after sport um, as well. So very much work collaboratively with the support team um, that I've just mentioned. Um, but also look to work with athletes one-to-one -one through coaching and mentoring to really develop those skills um, and think about them as a person. Uh, and then also look at maybe group workshops, group education um, in particular areas and working with a lot of stakeholders as well. Um, so stakeholders, I mean, it might be schools, universities, um, parents um, and other people, I suppose, around the athlete to make sure that we're really taking that person-first approach uh, within a, a sporting environment. Okay, that, I mean, like you say, it's quite new, isn't it? Which is why it's great to kind of hear exactly what, what it is. I mean, what does your day-to-day -day involve? Like, it, obviously now is a bit different. You're kind of saying you're doing some meetings in your conservatory, but it gets a bit hot and, you know, all <laughs> those kind of things. So it's maybe a bit different now, but before everything has kind of kicked off, what would a day-to-day -day look like for you? Yeah, great question. Uh, re really, really different <laughs> um, day to day. Um, I, I, like, I love the athlete interaction. That's why I, I do the role. Um, and, and that's probably the little bit I'm probably missing at the moment um, because doing this via Zoom is a little bit more challenging um, and, and whatever other platform that we use. Um, but day to day, it, it's, it's working with athletes, it's working with coaches. Um, and it's working with those stakeholders that I've just mentioned, um, uh, schools, universities, et cetera, um, around how we really set up a program that supports the athlete in the best way. Um, so 
I, my role currently um, is actually really quite um, broad now. Um, it's a little bit broader than it was previously when I was at EIS. EIS was, um, as a performance lifestyle advisor, very much focused on the one-to-one -one work and group workshops, um, really, around um, performance lifestyle and working with the multidisciplinary team. However, the role now that I've got within the National Tennis Academy um, also takes into consideration areas such as safeguarding um, because of the age of the athletes that, that we're working with and making sure we have a, a duty of care for the, the, the players and athletes that we support. Um, and then also uh, looking to manage the education side of things as well. Um, so we partner with a, uh, a local uh, school, local independent school, and they deliver our um, flexible education needs um, for the tennis players. So I'm, I'm a key link basically between the National Academy um, and the school to make sure that those education needs are set up really well um, and support um, our players in getting a good education as well as progressing in their tennis at the same time. Um, and um, within a tennis environment, that's really interesting as well because they have to travel quite a lot for international tournaments. So they might be away for 10, 10 to 12 weeks a year, maybe from school um, and, and missing school lessons. So it's how we support those needs when they're away at tournaments and, and things like that, um, as well as starting to try and develop the skills that they might need to be a professional tennis player in the future as well. Um, which kind of works really nicely hand in hand because they've got to learn to balance a lot of different commitments with school and things like that and work remotely. Um, but then obviously they've got to try and compete and, and play well at the same time um, whilst, whilst they're there um, as an athlete. So, so yeah, so really, really broad from the sort of normal PL sort of one-to-one -one workshops and one-to-one and, and -one meetings with athletes to working with the, the team, the support team, to working with the school um, and making sure we kind of safeguard and, and care for the players um, on a day-to-day -day basis as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you said like it's a, a form of mentoring as well as uh, all those bits that you were just talking about there. Do you find, because obviously you've gone from working more in a kind of a senior part of the sport, in, you know, obviously we can through swimming, to now a younger, um, younger part um, of, of the sport in tennis. What, apart from the whole, the education maybe side of it and working on a different way of transferring those skills maybe at that point, what do you find is, is the biggest difference in, on the, more the mentoring side of it from senior to developing athlete? Yeah, um, there's obviously really big differences because I'm working with junior developing athletes at the moment that you know, are finding a lot about themselves out at the moment. Um, and, and also they've, they've moved to a really new environment. A lot of them have moved away from home for the first time at age sort of 14, 15, which is a really big move and transition for them. Um, and they're learning to become more independent, uh, manage themselves um, and manage everything else they've got uh, around them. Um, but in terms of sort of a coaching and mentoring approach, definitely have to take a little bit more of a kind of um, pull approach at times um, around sort of, advising and and kind of leading certain areas but then searching for the pockets of, of I suppose coaching which adds to more and more coaching which is pockets of questioning uh, and enabling them to kind of find the answers out themselves as well um, and at times um, make mistakes as well um, and and kind of reflect on that and learn from it and kind of picking those opportunities as opposed to allow junior young athletes to to really reflect on the experiences that they have 
um, and go, right, what did I learn about myself there? And what does that mean for me going forward? Um, so I'd say it's just getting the balance right with younger athletes around coaching and mentoring. Sometimes it's more mentoring than advising and, and pulling, I suppose. Um, and then sometimes it's a little bit more coaching in pockets and questioning and, and kind of pushing <laughs> um, to go, no, you can do this. Yeah, you're resourceful. I've seen you do it before. You can, you can, you can, you can achieve well. Um, so that's probably the difference, probably doing a little bit more on the mentoring side, whereas before was probably trying to stay in the coaching space a lot more because, you know, senior athletes are a little bit more kind of self-aware and developed, I suppose, in certain areas. So they can, um, can, can find those answers out themselves a lot of the times. In hope, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, yeah. Really, like, really, like, like you say, it's quite a new, new role uh, in general. But it seems like it could be really diverse, really broad, like you said. Every athlete's going to need something something different. Someone's going to be like, great with their education. Some people move away from home. That's going to be really easy. Everybody is going to struggle, have their own struggles. How did you come to be in this role? Like, how did you find this as a line of work and as a career? Like, how did you get to it? Yeah, um, so I probably started working in performance lifestyle about 15 years ago, but I didn't really realize it. <laughs> at the time um so um you, you know my, my background was um played as, as you said played played hockey at a high level um and played hockey at university and um, originally thought i wanted to be a p teacher actually um thought that you know that's the route for me want to work in sport love sport um you know p teachers got to be the the way to go um and i started building up my experience and doing a lot more coaching practical coaching in, in my sport in hockey um and, and I really enjoyed that, but I kind of realized that like teaching probably wasn't for me. It was pretty tough um, and I couldn't see myself sort of teaching nine to five every day. Um, so I like doing the sort of pockets of, you know, doing a bit of coaching for an hour or two and then being able to say, yep, yeah, off you go. Um, go, go. And parents, you can, you can deal with, 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 with them uh, almost. Um, so then ended up going down a bit more of a sport development route. Um, and uh, I studied a, a postgraduate degree in uh, sport development uh, at university whilst I was really lucky to get a part-time role at a university, um, kind of supporting participation and performance programs, um, which led to doing quite a lot of work on TAS um, and lifestyle support for TAS. Um, and at that point is when Sorry, I really started to find out about... Can you just explain what TAS is for everybody that, that might not know? Sorry. Yeah, Sure, sorry. Um, so TAS is a Talented Athlete Scholarship Scheme. Um, it's a, a programme that supports student athletes um, with dual careers. Um, so it's set up across a lot of education uh, establishments, so schools, colleges, universities, um, to support athletes with a dual career um, who are competing at a high level but want to study at the same time as well. Yeah. Um, sorry, yeah. I didn't want to put you so, off. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, and then, yeah, so we started doing a lot more work on, on TAS and um, part of that is uh, lifestyle support. So they provide uh, lifestyle support to the athletes on the programme. Um, and from there, I did, I've spent about, about five years within two different universities um, running the scholarship programmes for those universities and working on TAS um, as well and, and found out about performance lifestyle as a, as a discipline within the institute as well, in AIS. Um, and set my heart on 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 that kind of as, as a uh, as a career because I just loved the work that I was doing, 
um, and um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to to get a role with British Swimming, um, worked with British Swimming for nearly five years, um, and also worked with wheelchair rugby, um, and I worked with powerlifting as well during that time. Um, so really different sports, Olympic yeah, and Paralympic sports. Yeah, super diverse. Wheelchair rugby is a bonkers, murderable sport. <laughs> that, that, if you ever watch it, I just think when the the first time I saw it was, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> like you've got you've got Paralympic Paralympic athletes kind of on a court bashing into each other with in, in chairs. Uh, I'm playing, yeah, playing essentially playing rugby on a, on a court in a sports hall, which is just. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a great sport, um, and I loved my time with, with that sport as well um, as swimming, um, and then later on worked with powerlifting as well. So really, really different um, sort of ranges of, of of sport environments, I suppose, across those. Um, and then yeah, now I found myself in tennis, um, which again is is different. Again, um, it's uh, a little bit bonkers <laughs> um, at times, like every sport is, um, but it's great. Oh, I mean. No, I'm not going to ask you which your favourite was, um, <laughs> and not to be too controversial or anything, but what's the difference between uh, the sports with the role that you're playing within them? So, or like you say, you've got wheelchair, basketball, uh, powerlifting, swimming, tennis, all diverse sports. Do you see a difference from the PL side of things between sports? I, I wouldn't say there's a huge difference in terms of performance lifestyle and the way I kind of go about the role. Um, I'd say the, the biggest difference is obviously the individuals within those sports and, and the culture, I suppose, of the sports um, is really different. Um, obviously, swimming um, is, is a, a pretty big sport um, for, the, for the country. Um, there's a lot of people who participate in it um, and it's very individual in its nature. Um, and um, yeah, so you get very like a, a whole range of different people from different backgrounds within the sport coming on to that came onto the world class program at that time um and that varied from you know 15 16 year old swimmers that are at school and trying to almost be a full-time swimmer at the same time um and then right through to you know your 27 28 30 year old swimmers that have been to two three olympic games and are considering their next step in in uh, a career after sport um, so I'd say it's more the kind of the individuals that you work with rather than the sports themselves. Every sport has its kind of different culture, as I say, and different way of working. Um, I, I do find it very different working in individual sport and team sport. Um, that's what I do find different because the dynamic is, is, it changes quite a lot. Um, you know, team sport, you're very much in it together to, to, you know, for one goal essentially and an individual sport, it's a little bit different because, almost you're competing for the same thing at times depending obviously what your discipline is within that sport so the dynamic within a training group can be quite interesting <laughs> um and that's swimming and tennis that I'm, I'm referring to there as well so um yeah i find that interesting you see a difference in personality types is this can you generalize what kind of people would be in an individual sport versus a team sport do you see anything like that um i mean not not too much to be fair not not to kind of give you like a, a real general answer no um to be fair i think every like all one thing i have learned over the last however many years is like individuals are, are so different um like an individual athletes are so different in how they work and and what motivates them and what drives them and um what's going on in the world outside of sport as well like that's what's really really different um 
but I, w- I wouldn't say that I can I can kind of put my hat um, on certain personality types really um, I think it just varies so much yeah um, oh fair yeah. enough yeah I mean your rules are so diverse I feel like you need to be an expert in like so many different areas that you could possibly do like you signpost into like further education i mean some of the athletes must be coming and at times unloading some fairly personal stuff on you what's happening in, in the lives away from sports you kind of need to be like a, a psychologist at points like i mean there's so and then you've got to have your personal skills linking in the rest of the team like it's not just working with the athletes like you mentioned before you go work with all the staff and if they're having a problem with some of their own coaching staff like are you supposed to be mediator between that like or does that again depend on the situation like there must be so many different areas i feel like former's lifestyle can have an effect yeah yeah i think yeah i think um i think that that is a an interesting one i kind of referred to my previous point around like quite often at times within a training environment within for athletes there will be some sort of conflict um you know whether that be with other players or other swimmers or other athletes um you know and it'd be sometimes over the smallest thing as you guys are probably will, will will know from your careers um and sometimes there'll be a little bit of conflict because of you know a certain coaching session or training session that they're not happy with or it might be something that's going on outside of um sport that then they bring and the coach isn't happy with um so there's yeah there's definitely often like little bits of conflict but i think um you know performance lifestyle definitely offers a bit of safe space to offload if needed um and talk to someone about those um those issues or or problems within um their, their program i suppose at the moment but also you know one of the biggest things i really try and do is help athletes to try and manage that themselves um really well because it really helps to develop those skills that they have for the future as well. Yeah. You know, if they can deal with that sort of conflict and, and be able to, you know, have a, a, a comfortable, uncomfortable and sometimes comfortable conversation with a coach um, and with other people at times, then that helps them to, to, to grow um, in the future as well um, and become better because they're going to have to do that later in life as well. Um, and so what I'll often do is at times like that is, maybe talk through how that conversation might go um, and maybe do even a little bit of role play at times, um, which yeah can be quite interesting. Um, you know, and that's where the coaching and mentoring side of things really comes in because I'm, I'm trying to kind of coach them to take that responsibility um, as a player, as athlete themselves, but also at the same time kind of providing a little bit of advice along the way, particularly with some of our younger athletes, there might be a little bit more gung-ho and go right I'm just going to deal with it and this is how I think I'm going to do it um so so yeah so it is kind of quite broad but it's um really interesting as well um when those situations come up definitely I mean like we've said it is fairly new in comparison to say nutritionist S&C and those those other roles within a multidisciplinary team but what what do you think has kind of made it come about and become a more significant role over the past uh, past few years? Because, you know, I wonder, with what you're saying there, some of it is about conversations you're having with people and, you know, the, the actual, um, wh- whether the athlete's able to take control of their situation to the best way they possibly can. And very often people would initially think, oh, well, that's a psychologist's job. And it makes me wonder whether 
the word psychology or psychologist is sometimes a bit too serious for people and the PL is there offering that kind of thing in some respects alongside everything else that you're doing. There's a bit of an in-between and it's, it doesn't feel quite so... Uh, there's a bit of a stigma sometimes that there has been in previous years about psychologists, hasn't there? So I wonder if that's a way of it kind of growing as a, as a role, PL, because it's kind of offering that side of it as well. I mean, what, what do you think's made it grow? I think, um, <clears throat> I think there are quite a few different reasons, actually. I think it's really important to say that, you know, over the last however many years, there are some kind of sports and environments that have taken a holistic approach really, really well. Um, as well um, and, and they've done an amazing job and I think the the integration between psychology performance lifestyle and coaching um, in some air, in some areas and some sports and um, yeah programs has, has been so good um, I think there are a few different reasons why it's probably come more to the front um, over the last few years and I think um, there's just been a greater significance placed on like positive mental health and the value of that and the value of developing positive mental health um, for elite athletes um, and, and developing athletes as well um, that are coming along the journey as well. Um, so I think that has, has had a greater significance um, placed on it um, and the importance is, as well of support during like transition and, and, and retirement as well. I think those two things have come to the front quite heavily. And unfortunately, it has been down, I think, to some kind of less positive cases, some fairly negative cases where athletes have been quite brave and willing to talk about some of the troubles that they've had um, when they've either gone through transition or a negative uh, mental health experience. Um, but I think what that has then kicked on is it's enabled people to think about those areas a little bit more and really push the agenda for you know, performance lifestyle and psychology to work a little bit more closely within the, the support team as well um, and for the areas to be valued. Um, as well so that's been really really good particularly from from my perspective um and i suppose the the other little area is that sport is always thinking about the sort of one percent like in performance improvements always thinking about like how can we get better and what's gonna almost make the boat go faster um is a common phrase that's used um and therefore you know why wouldn't you think about greater well-being athlete well-being in being that one percent and like because surely a, a happy athlete and a happy player is going to be a more successful player um on the court or the pitch or the pool or wherever it might be um so why wouldn't you look after kind of well-being a little bit more effectively within the environment because surely it's going to have a positive impact um with, with, with people so so that's the other thing i think definitely i mean we um you'll know ian armager who we spoke to not too long ago um, and he always says happy swimmers are fast swimmers uh, it's yeah. the intro as well yeah. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. yeah and I think a lot of coaches are now becoming much more aware of that aren't they and uh, this whole mm. holistic approach to, to coaching and bringing in the athlete mentoring side of things for definite I mean we use this term a lot now um, holistic approach can you just kind of clarify exactly what that means yeah I mean Everyone have, a, like, I suppose, a little bit of a different understanding on holistic approach because I think what you guys have said is right. Like people have got a really different um, understanding, and it's thrown about quite a bit at times. Um, and I think my view has actually changed fairly um, recently on on this. I think previously I, I did start to think that 
you know, a holistic approach means that we're thinking about all of the areas that contribute towards a, an athlete um, doing well, um, really. And we think about the athlete as a whole person, um, not just as the athlete. Um, so I would kind of almost think, well, that means we need to think about all areas of support. So we think about coaching, sports science, nutrition, um, psychology, physiotherapy, et cetera, et cetera. We think about all of those areas um, and how they can contribute. We also think about all of the areas within an athlete's life that can impact on on them and their journey, which might be um, things like home environment, it might be school, it might be university. Um, those things obviously um, need to be considered when we're talking holistically about um, a player or an athlete. Um, but then I, I think I've gone a little bit deeper in that now um, and gone, you know, what holistic for me really means is are we really thinking more about like what this athlete and player values? Um, so are we thinking about their drivers? Are we thinking about what motivates them? Are we thinking about what their interests are, what their values are? Um, you know, are we really thinking like a little bit deeper about what matters to this this person? Um, um, and, and how do we as a support team really work to make sure those kind of needs are, are supported within the environment as well, not just the tangible things. Like it's really easy to think about the tangible things around, you know, sports science or coaching or um, or school, whatever it might be. But, you know, do we get a bit of a deeper understanding of, of, of what an athlete wants and, and drivers are? Um, so, yeah, so that would be my sort of view. Um, a little bit long-winded, I appreciate, but... Um, yeah, I do think it's kind of thrown about a lot, and and it and it can can cover quite a lot as well. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. So what uh, what's changed your view then? What's made a change over recent times uh, with the holistic approach? That's that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> I think I, I don't know really. I I think just the experience of of kind of working in the area for, for so long for the last sort of 10 years or so um, and you know engaging with other people um, that are working in this area as well um, so you know I, I've got a really great network of other um, performance lifestyle advisors that I kind of speak to on a weekly basis um, almost about you know what their experiences are like and how what they're doing in their their programs and their environments as well so I think just a bit of experience and a bit of kind of reaching out and kind of networking with other practitioners and not just PL, it could be psychology as well. Um, and then just getting any greater understanding um, of, of what that looks like and trying to apply a few things as well. So um, I think one of the things I'm really grateful of in this role right now in tennis is I've got quite a big scope to work on um, some of these areas uh, because I work, I feel really privileged that I've only got eight, players that I work with, um, which means that, you know, I can work with them pretty intensively um, at times. Um, and there are really good reasons for that because, you know, the age of them and being away from home and in, in the environment we're in. Um, but, you know, I get real good contact there on a regular basis um, to support them within um, the environment as well. Whereas in previous roles, I was quite spread. Um, you know, if I, if I think about when I was in my previous role in swimming, you know, I was probably working across about 60 athletes, um, which is just crazy sometimes. Like, you can only deliver pockets of, of performance lifestyle support at times where where the needs are and the priority is. Whereas now, you know, I've got a great, great opportunity to work with eight players really, like, effectively and, and closely. 
Um, so I've probably got just a greater understanding of you know what holistic actually looks like for them yeah. as well. Surely, if you only sorry, if you only got eight eight players now, and that that's enough players to give you a full time role essentially. Working with sixty athletes at once must have felt like you just impossible yeah, task. Just, yeah. <laughs> It's been set up to fail almost. Like surely it was more like putting out fires there rather than putting things in place. Uh, I mean, there's things where uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty, and when you look back at our own careers, and there's all uh, there's a lot of things you change. And I think a few of them would have been outside fighters. I think in in the pool in the training environment that was probably all taken care of by the coaches. But outside, I feel like yeah, there could have been times where. Having a lot more contact with somebody like yourself would have would have probably aided me quite a lot. And like we mentioned before, transitions out of sport. I was one of those athletes. And I know lots of other athletes that retired um, from sport and struggled quite a lot. So, yeah, it would be definitely advantageous, I think, for them to have at least just spoke through things with you or, you know, have somebody in your role um, for definite. So what's probably you feel like the sort of maximum number of athletes that a performance lifestyle advisor could handle that was a good number you've said eight's like a good number for you well i guess that changes senior to developing athlete though does it or yeah 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 that's a difficult one to answer really because yeah. i think that as i said before i think my role now is actually a lot broader than than just the pl side of things so although uh, i've got only the eight that i'm working with um at the moment in the academy i obviously have to do a lot of work outside of that with a lot of stakeholders so and particularly if i consider like the school and the parents um in in the situation that i'm in at the moment um so although it is is a yeah i have a lot more capacity to deliver pl support but it is also spread quite broadly across other areas as well um i think um yeah if it, it really depends on the sport i think um and it really depends on what the needs are, um, I suppose. And a little bit like what you said there, Joe, around like engagement as well. Engagement is really important um, bits because, you know, you've got to, like any support service, um, performance lifestyle has to sort of, um, it has to um, show its value um, to, to players and to athletes. Um, and by showing value, you then get greater engagement. Um, so then your numbers maybe go up. <laughs> A little bit um, to, to more, so it kind of varies a little bit according to the needs and, and engagement that that certain sports have and the value they place on it um, as well. And as I say, I think that that value is increasing at, at the moment. So it would be great to see how the how the discipline sort of grows over the next few years. You know, after after Tokyo, for example, when that happens next year, and um, you know things are reviewed and the sporting landscape might change again. Um, but I think there is a greater emphasis on um, well-being, um, a holistic approach, and, and particularly performance lifestyle in certain, certain sports. So it will be great to see if um, you know, there is great investment into it as well. Definitely. I mean, personally, I feel like to have it integrated into your programme as an athlete on a regular basis is brilliant. So it sounds like more like what you're doing with tennis now is is a great setup you know like you say you've got a smaller number of athletes which is obviously brilliant but it is part of their weekly program to see you to have contact with you to to deal with whatever it is on that pl side outside of tennis to some extent and i feel like from a personal perspective that's what i kind of felt i, I missed because i wasn't aware of 
that because obviously it was a little while ago when we were swimming. It's it wasn't as big as it is now. So I do feel like just having it integrated in and athletes being aware that that is part of their training program is a really good way to kind of go. And when you've said about you know the holistic approach, I think. There's been so much in the past, again, like you've mentioned, with athletes coming out of sport, struggling with mental health because of, essentially, their sport is their identity. And I think this PL role is a real, really nice way of finding what else they're about so that they don't struggle with that identity shift quite so much when they come out the other side of sport. Because it isn't, obviously, it is a massive focus for so many people for so many years, and it has to be to to be at an elite level, but that shouldn't be all you're about as an athlete. You have family, you have a life outside, you have other hobbies and enjoyments that, you know, you just don't get time to make the most of maybe. And I think PL is a really fantastic way of making athletes aware that there is life after sport and <laughs> alongside sport in some cases when they're younger as well. So yeah, I, I would love to see it keep growing and become integrated into the sporting programmes for definite. Is there, do you ever find it easy or hard to um, to get that engagement of certain athletes uh, and maybe off the staff and the programmes as well? Surely, because I feel like it's done the hard thing to prove, like you sort of mentioned to before, you kind of alluded to. Like it's the hardest, like if, if the serve's not uh, very fast or they're not getting a lot of reaction, fast reactions off the block, well, we can go to the S&C guy, you can increase the power, and we, it's a quantifiable result. It's very hard to quantify this person's got happier. Uh, you know, or, or they've done better in school, but how uh, that doesn't, you know, that wasn't just the teachers that had done that. That was the conversations that happened to PL and the refocus and the shift. But how, how do you, you sell that to, to programs like the coaching staff, to the athletes themselves, to the parents? How do you get them to believe in it, like from an early, from their first introduction? Yeah. I think yeah, it is. It's so much more subjective. Um, yeah. There's no debating that. Again, again, like a little bit similar sometimes to psychology and how that's viewed um, as a, as a discipline in a subjective manner, um, because it is more difficult. Um, I think um, for me, it's searching for little pockets again where you can demonstrate that value, um, and sometimes it can be a sort of negative experience. Um, unfortunately, uh, kind of as I've said before, um, around like certain transition points, if something goes badly, um, and you know, or there's an injury or something like that, then it's looking at kind of using that as a as a kind of in, I suppose, to demonstrate some value that PL might have. Um, but but equally, looking at kind of any positive opportunities to demonstrate that value as well. You know, you mentioned school, for example. You know, if I can demonstrate um, as a performance lifestyle and education manager within a tennis academy that, you know, X player is doing really well at school um, and at the same time they've achieved really well um, on the tennis court and I've married those two together, then it, prevents a, it, it presents a really compelling argument, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. that this needs to continue. Um, I think the other bit is, um, like, I will uh, quite regularly um, have sort of well-being check-ins with, with players, um, and it's presenting that information to coaching and support team um, in, in the right way and what that player is happy to, to share to go, 
this is what's going on right now and this might mean this for for them at the moment in the environment so it's helping to inform coaching and and the support staff i suppose on the stuff that's happening off court that will help them with their interactions as well um so although i can't kind of put a really subject um, objective sorry like number on it <laughs> um i can give a subjective kind of thought to them around this may mean this because this has happened previously like this and therefore um we need to just consider these things um, and that's where i think the value comes in it's the coaches and support staff seeing that value that you know having that information i suppose about the the wider whole person is really um really useful for them because it helps them their interaction and engagement um in the performance areas that they need to uh, need to work on as well yeah no i mean we've all had conversations since retiring and stuff and i i do feel like it, i wish it had been a bigger part of of british swimming when we've been there i feel like it would have definitely helped us out in in numerous different ways but um People that are sort of not fortunate enough to have a performance lifestyle advisor, say on their team, their squad, all that kind of stuff, because they kind of only at top end at the minute, aren't they? Like you kind of only when you get to top of these programs that you're going to get access. Is this stuff that, um, say, swimmers in an ordinary swimming team or tennis players that haven't got some of these pathways yet, or whichever sport? Uh, that they can access, that they could sort of look into themselves without having access to somebody like yourself? Is it things that they could do? Um, Even during this time, <laughs> during lockdown, to yeah. help them as well? Yeah, so um, i probably take those two things separately, actually. So um, the, f the first point around, like, um, access to performance lifestyle resources and information and things like that, I think, um, first of all, there are a lot of NGBs, as we've mentioned before, swimming being one of them, um, that are starting to really value this area um, a, a lot more um, and therefore there's a lot more that's going on um, websites um, for from NGBs, Great Swimming, Swim England etc um, that people can access so it's definitely worth checking out um, yeah, your NGB work, um, website. Um, a lot of other sports um, away from swimming have similar as well, they've got a lot of resources on there that might be useful so even if it's something that's not on British Swimming or Swim England's website, there might be stuff on other sports that's really applicable um, as well, um, even though it's not directly the same sport. Um, I'd also say that social media is, you know, should be limited in terms of the amount of screen time we have on it, um, but it's amazing as a whole bank of resource. Like I take so much from social media, from like, the people I follow um, and you know, organisations I follow, and pockets of of things and just tweak it and adapt it to, to use for for my environment and my context as well um, so I'd say definitely like social media um, if you you know follow some of the key organizations like TAS, EIS um, and NGBs I think that um, they have some really useful information that get, gets pushed out as well um, and then I suppose the, the, the second part Amy was around um, like this lockdown period and again like not to give like a, a, a washy answer but I think it's really different depending on the individual like from what I found so we've, we, we've got some athletes that have just want to press the pause button almost at the moment and go right this is a really good time because you know, next year might be an Olympic year for example or it might be a really heavy competition year whatever it might be so we're going to use this period just to take the foot off the gas chill out and recover 
and then we're going to go again. Um, so some people have done that. I think some athletes have taken it as an opportunity to work on the off-court or out-of-the-pool stuff as well. So they might have like really focused on like doing loads of home gym, for example, and working on a particular like physical area that they know they've got a bit of a weakness in, um, I suppose. Um, so they're kind of using it as a, a period to kind of work on a, an area to improve that will help them when they go back to full-time training. Um, and then I think there's a, a whole host of people that are using it as an opportunity to explore other interests as well. So it might be learning a new skill, reading a new book, watching a documentary series like Last Dance was amazing. <laughs> so I'd recommend that massively. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yeah, yeah um, I think it's about the third podcast it's come up on actually. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> being impressed, yeah. Yeah, it's um, I'm late I'm late I'm late to the party. I'm late to the party. Um, <laughs> um yeah, so like watching documentaries, um or yeah, just just learning a new skill and exploring a new interest, learning a language or um doing something that just like I know that there's one or two athletes that have actually learned to juggle. Right. <laughs> during this lockdown period for example so that's a, a really kind of innovative idea and works on hand-eye coordination um as well yeah. and it's just something different um so yeah i think yeah yeah a party trick um and yeah I, I think it's really it just depends really what people want to use the period for but it offers a really good opportunity to, do, to press that pause button um and think about other areas that we don't often get a chance to think about Definitely, I agree, because, I mean, looking at the swimming side of things, uh, we spoke to you, you and Dale, coach down at Millfield um, the other day, and he said it's a bit like a hamster wheel swimming. It's an all-year-round sport, so you can't just go, 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 go all the time. So for swimmers, which is probably mainly the people that will be watching these kind of podcasts, I think, yeah, the message is to definitely just take it as a bit of a, a pause, and a good pause, not necessarily a, oh, we're going to panic getting back into it. It's... It's more of a, well, okay, we don't normally get this time. Let's use it to our advantage and learn something new. Just stay happy a, a, lot, of, a lot of the time so we're ready to get back in mentally as well as yeah. Yeah. physical will always come back, won't it? That's the thing. You can always get that back. It's yeah. that other side of it where you just need to keep yourself calm and happy with whatever you're doing as an individual. Yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. And I, I kind of referring back to a kind of point that you made just before, Amy, around like the identity piece is really important. And, you know, um, I'm going to throw an analogy in there that I love because I use it all the time. Um, and that's, that's one of like, uh, I use it with a lot of the tennis players and swimmers before that I worked with is around, we need to think of sort of identity as not being um, like a table that's got one leg through the middle. That's just their sport. Um, that helps to stand the table up. So because we know that, you know, if that one table leg, if there's an injury or if you retire, for example, or it goes, then the table goes wobbly or it just falls over. Um, you know, we need to think a little bit more about having a table that's really sturdy, that has five or six or seven legs around the outside that, you know, it, one of those things might be sport, but the other thing might be school, university, family, a different interest or whatever it might be so there's sort of lots of table legs that are helping to to keep um, that table up almost um, and I just really like that as a sort of analogy because if we think of that during this lockdown period as well you know how are we 
kind of working on those table legs yeah. <laughs> um, during this period. Um, you know, are we connecting with family a little bit more? Are we learning something new? Are we kind of working our education to make sure that, you know, we're going to still do well at school? Um, you know, all of those things I think are really important. So that identity piece links really well into that, I think. Yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah, I that's feel really like, good. I'm I feel like, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, yeah, I like that. The weight that goes through each of those legs might change from time to time, kind of it's going to switch around, isn't it? But um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's probably about strengthening those legs as well, isn't it? Not just always adding more. It could be like, you know, yeah. getting those those stronger. Yeah, yeah. if you think now, yeah. for example, that if you, you just got that one leg and that's your sport, and that's taken away at the minute, you know, where are you, what are you at? I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think that's a great place to leave it. Actually, on that uh, that last analogy, yeah. Imagine yourself as a table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine yourself as a table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much for today. I actually think Thank that was you. some some really interesting uh, insights there. Uh, so yeah, cheers. Very thanks very much for that. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Alex. No problem at all. Thanks very much, and uh, best of luck in the, in the future. And I hope. Uh, there's a few more last dance mentions in the in the, in the next few podcasts as well. Yeah, I'm sure there will. Yeah, brilliant. Well, best of luck, Alex, um, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Yeah, cheers. All the best. Cheers. Thank you.